All right, guys, uh, we're in Acts chapter 14. We're going to look at the cities of Lyconia and Paul's ministry there. So we're in lesson 29. So we're going to look at verses 1 to 8. And so this uh, would be like in the province of Lyconia is where they're at. And that would, when we talk about a province, that's similar to like a state. So when you look at what is Asia Minor, what we call today Turkey, this was an area where these cities were located. So the first city we're going to see is in verses 1 to 6, which is Iconium. So let's look and see what Luke writes for us there. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a multitude of both the Jews and of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. All right, let's take a look here. First of all, the witness in Iconium. As was their practice, they went to the synagogue and preached to both the, both Jews and Gentiles. Okay, so as was their practice, they went to the synagogue and preached to both Jews and Gentiles. So this is the normal practice. They would go into an area. Again, what's the first place they're going to go to is where somebody, where somebody is re- receptive to their message, understands where they're coming from because They would be presenting Jesus Christ from the Old Testament, so they would go to the synagogue. And obviously in the synagogue would be these God-fearing Gentiles. And again, they're they're called God-fearers because they didn't want to take that next step and either be circumcised or become a proselyte. Okay? Become a proselyte. Now, as always, when they go, they face opposition. Because of their preaching, unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles by poisoning their minds. So because of their preaching, unbelieving Jews stirred up opposition. Now here's what I want you to understand. This is something you've got to understand. And for some reason we we kind of, even I do this, we can kind of forget this as we're trying to live our lives for the Lord, as we're trying to serve the Lord, is that when you are doing what God is calling you to do, you need to just expect that you're always going to have opposition. Bottom line, you're always going to have opposition because we're, we're, we're in a, a battle, and it's not just a physical battle, but we're in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy that does not want to see us reach people for Jesus Christ. We have an enemy that's real. And so he will stir up opposition. And so Paul, as soon as he goes in, he preaches to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Opposition arises. So just expect opposition. In fact, here I'm going to point out two things to you. 
two things that we've seen so far as we've gone through the book of Acts about church life. I'm going to tell you what the two are, and then I'm going to ask you, why do we have a problem with them? Because usually when we face these two things, we think there's something wrong with us, okay? First one is this. In church, there are, there are going to be problems. That's the first thing we're going to face. When you have people coming together in church, there's going to be problems. We've already seen it in the book of Acts. We're going to see it next week when we get into Acts chapter 15. There's going to be problems. Problems are going to arise. That's number one. Number two, there's always going to be opposition. Opposition to what you're doing. Now, let's stop for a moment. I told you those two things. We see it here in the book of Acts. Why do we have a problem with that? Why do we think that's weird? Why do we think that's unusual? In fact, how many of you have ever been in a church where they had problems? And you thought, this shouldn't be this way. There shouldn't be problems, right? In fact, we try to have a church. Don't we try to have a church without problems? Is that possible? No, so let's get realistic about it. So we have to face them as the problems arise. Like, for instance, when you look at what's going on in the book of Acts, these were problems that happened that they they just kind of happened as they went along, as they were doing ministry. Some of it actually came as a part of opposition. Do you understand? But there were problems, and they had to work through the problems to continue to do ministry. Okay? Continue to do ministry. Problems reveal things. Problems sometimes happen also to call the herd a little bit. Did you understand what I'm saying? To, to winnow out things. That happens. We saw that happening with the book of Acts. What do you mean? Well, the whole issue of the Gentiles coming to faith. What happened because of that? Up until that point, everybody was happy with each other. There was no evidence that there was a problem in anybody's thinking there. As soon as the Gentiles come to the Lord, then you see that there actually is revealed to be a problem. What do you mean? Because there are some among them who believe that you had to keep the Old Testament law in order to experience salvation. Now, is that truth or is that falsehood? Yeah, it's falsehood, because you have to have faith, not your work. See, problems sometimes expose what's already there that we're just overlooking. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to see that next week. Again, they're going to, we're going to see that next week when the, the whole issue of the, the folks who are wanting the Gentiles to be circumcised comes up. And then opposition. We, we, we think that there must be something wrong with us if we have problems. But let's, can we adopt a different mentality, a different way of thinking? What do you mean, George? Well, let us adopt a way of thinking that just expects it to happen. If you're serving the Lord, you need to expect that you're going to have struggles, that you're going to have difficulties. In fact, I would say to you, that's the implication of the New Testament. The implication of the New Testament, Jesus already said to you, you follow him, you're going to what? Suffer. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're going to suffer. In fact, he goes on and tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers of the air, spiritual forces of wickedness. 
So we need to understand that. So here we are, because of their preaching, unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles by poisoning their minds. Now, in verse 3, we see their tenure in the city. Despite the opposition, they stayed in Iconium a long time preaching God's word. Now, I think this is amazing, isn't it? Here they are, they're having opposition. It's getting intense. They've already, they've already faced opposition before, but now it's getting intense. But what do they decide to do? Did they decide to leave? No, they didn't leave. They continued staying there in spite of the opposition, preaching God's word, continuing to do what God called them to do. So notice something now. As they preached God's word, it was supported by miracles that God granted. The message of the gospel was supported by miracles that God granted. So how the validity of what they were saying, how that could be holding true with them, is because God was granting miracles to support what they were saying. Now, i got a question for you. I want us to think for a moment. Would you say... Let's talk about our culture today. We are, we are increasingly watching our culture become more and more unchristian. Have you noticed that? Okay, like now 40 years ago, most people had a concept of the Bible. Most people had a concept of church. They had, they had a concept of a Christian society, right? Or what was a Christian culture. Not, not necessarily a true Christian culture, but a Christian culture. I remember years ago talking with uh, one of our older saints who's a shut-in now and asking her, you know, back in the 50s, were there more Christians around? And she said, no, there weren't more Christians around, about the same amount of Christians as there are now. You mean, I said, were the unsaved people about the same? She said, yeah, the unsaved people were about the same. It's only that most people adopted a Christian culture. Now, our culture is becoming increasingly unchristian, non-Christian, nothing, secular. And before, the basis of our presentation would be based upon just simply presenting to them the Word of God, and most people would accept that it was the Bible was the Word of God, right? Is that true today? No. Okay. So how do we present the gospel to people who don't accept that what we're saying is truth. How do we do that? Because that's our dilemma, isn't it? Isn't that our dilemma? How do we do that? I have a thought for you, okay? Actually comes out of this passage, okay? As they preached the God, God's word, it was supported by miracles that the Lord granted. Are you saying that God needs to do miracles through us? We need to be like the apostles? No, I am not saying that at all. However, I am saying something that is different than what we normally do. And I want you to think about this and process it with me. In the first century church, when they preached, the validity of what they were saying was substantiated by seeing God working around them through doing things. Healings, okay, uh, doing things. 
And that substantiated their word. In fact, I'll just be honest with you, that's what's happening in Asia. You know, when I first studied in ministry, we used to say that the 1040 window, which is from 1040, as far as the hemisphere, was the most unreached area in the world, and it still is. But God is doing some interesting things among the Muslims and even among the Asians. And some of it has to do with his showing his power to substantiate what's being said. So in China, it's very common among the house church people for them to talk about healings, and about, well, my mother-in-law got healed, so we all accepted Jesus because these Christians prayed over them. All right, I'm stop. I'm not asking us to do that either. What are you asking, George? Well, what if our thoughts were a little bit different about how we approached our way of praying for people who need the Lord? And so this is all I'm asking you to think about, okay? So you're talking to somebody, they don't care about your Jesus, you know they need Jesus, they don't accept your viewpoint that that book that Bruce is holding here, okay, is the word of God, how about pray for them and ask God to do this? Lord, just like in the, long ago, you showed yourself real so that people could accept your word. Lord, could you show them you're real? Could you make yourself real to them? Now, how he does that, I don't know. But could you convince them that you're real? You're asking God to, to pray that way. I mean, you're, you're, you're praying that way, asking God to do something, to, to, to show them. Because, look, we're becoming to be more and more increasingly in a secular nation. Now, here's the problem with our secular nation. Have you noticed that some of the most popular TV shows on TV deal with the supernatural? Have you noticed that? But it's not a Christian-based supernatural, is it? No, it's not a Christian-based supernatural at all. It's it's about witches and warlocks and and all of this. You know what I'm saying? You know, and I think one time I was walking in the Y and some guy was watching a show about three sisters in a house. You know what I'm saying? Fighting demons. Yeah. So it's and and people have an openness to that. What I'm saying is is that we're asking God to help us. To I'm not saying. God, give me the miracle to, to heal Bruce's leg. No, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you, though, God, they don't accept what I'm saying because they don't believe you're real. They don't believe anything. Could you show yourself real in their life? Could you show yourself real and show that they need you? I'm just asking for you to pray that way. God's the one who works in their hearts. Do you understand? God's the one who shows them their depths of need. I, I, several reasons, okay? Um, okay. Why are they different? First of all, a sociological reason is they are in a pre-Christian culture. We're in a post-Christian culture. Okay? Everybody understand that? We're in a pre... 
they're in a pre-Christian culture. We're in a post-Christian culture, meaning they're just beginning to be introduced to Christianity, and they're seeing God, and they see God doing things like that. We are, having been in a Christian culture that everybody rejects, even we reject it, okay? Now we're turned away because we have no alternative, because they look at the church and they say to the church, you don't really have anything that I want. I got something better to do at 10 o'clock in the morning on, on Sunday. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I was up late partying because of Penn State, you know? I wasn't, but maybe you were. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, my Facebook feed this morning when I was looking at it was filled with lions eating badgers for some reason. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, like, what's, what's going on? And I realized, oh, this is about Penn State and Wisconsin, I guess. So, but you, you, you don't understand. So, we're in a post-Christian culture. Number, number, number two, here's the reason why. I think it has to do with the level of faith. They believe that God will do things. They expect him to. They also have a cultural bent towards that. We have been in the scientific West where we really don't believe that God can do anything. We're surprised when God answers prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have no expectations of God doing anything. They believe it. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, they believe it, and they, they believe their prayers to be answered. And if God doesn't answer them, then obviously he had a reason for it, and they accept it, and they keep praying, and they keep going on. And I think that's, that's part of it, Bruce. I think it's, it's, we're in a post-Christian culture, but I also think, which is the reason why in our Christian culture, um, we, we don't... We don't believe that. It's like this. Paul says, and I'm going to talk about it in the morning message today, about getting serious. That's the title of the message. Paul says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. It's like we have a form of godliness in the West, but we deny the power of it. We deny that the Holy Spirit is real and works. Now, here's what we've done, okay? Um, my, my children pointed this out to me. They said, Dad, you, you know, you're a little bit different than your teaching than some of the churches we go to around here. And I said, what do you mean? I said, well, you talk about the Holy Spirit. And I said, yeah, I do. Because here's the, it, it, out there is two extremes. The one extreme is he's some kind of power source. He's going to make you do weird things. You're going to bark like a dog, perch on a, perch on a pew, and swoop down like an eagle. And Do, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I've, I've witnessed that in Toronto, Okay. Uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna laugh uncontrollably. You're gonna, and, and so that's the concept of the Holy Spirit. Some churches have. The other concept of the Holy Spirit is what we even we used to be like here, and I was like, is, well, you know, He's real. He saves us. He seals us. That's it. But that's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that He guides us. He leads us. He instructs us. You know, He He is our teacher. He is the other one here. So. I think what has happened is, is we have no expectation of God's Holy Spirit doing anything today. None. I'm not talking about, I don't care about the country. 
Danny. Okay. Yes, there are some, but that's not the majority. I'm talking about churches in general, the churches that we would affiliate with, that we would associate with. Just because you meet a few people who have that kind of faith, that, that does not mean that's indicative of all of Christianity in the United States. The fact of the matter is, I read widely as far as what's happening in the U.S. and what Bruce just said is the common cry of the church in America. And that is, why don't we see God working in our churches like he's working overseas? Now, are there people who, who, who yeah, God always has people among you that can believe anything. But for the most part, most of our churches have no expectations. See, I'm talking about the church. I'm not, the country means nothing to me as far as the church is the primary thing. We don't have any expectations. So, here, here's the thing. Now, does everybody agree with this? This is a stat that's out there that I've seen to be true. And that is, once kids turn 18, they leave the church. They grow indifferent to the church. They're gone. Would you agree with that? And some of them actually become antagonistic. Would you agree with that? Okay. That is the big thing that in the journals that I'm reading, pastors, when I go to conference, when I go, you know, just this year I was down at Liberty University, was on a advisory board for the pastoral leadership department at Liberty University. And pastors, that is the number one thing that they talk about over break, over coffee. How do we get the kids? How do we get the kids? How do we get the kids back? How do we reach them? How do we reach them? And there are no easy answers, but I've become, become convinced of something. And that's this. The way we do church doesn't interest them. Because the way we do church doesn't show the reality of God to them. See, these people, I mean, why would they? I mean, opposition is coming. They're still hanging out, meeting together because God's real to them. I would say to you that the reason why they're so easily ready to walk away from the faith is that God isn't real to them. Now, you're going to say, well, how can we do that, George? I don't know. But it's something for us to think about and pray about, is that God needs to show up. God's got to show up. And we've got to pray and ask him to show up. I mean, I had a lady last week after the service, come and talk to me. And she walked in. She said, as soon as I walked in, I just sensed something different. Now, in the 15 years I've been here, I'm not surprised by that statement anymore. I've heard that many times. I mean, we weren't even singing yet. I know we got a great band, but they weren't even playing yet. Y'all were sucking down coffee and chewing the fat with each other. I mean, but yet she sensed something here? What, you know, what's going on there? I've had people tell me the same thing. I remember a couple that came here. 
They drove up from Bell's Landing, fought the whole way here in the car, and were fighting when they pulled in. And as soon as they walked into the building, it was like something changed. They realized something was different. That's God. Now, okay. Well, then obviously we're doing okay. Well, that still doesn't settle my problem with my kids not one. I understand that, but listen to me. Maybe we need to look at what happened in the first century church and ask God to do it now. So all I'm saying is pray. I'm not saying God grant Sam healing hands so that he can lay hands. No, we're not asking that. We don't care about that. Do you understand? That's not legitimate, but God, make your presence real in my life, in our church. Lord, make your presence real to those who, are, who need to hear. This is what the point was. This, the gospel was substantiated by God's presence. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the issue. Forget the miracle. Let's leave the miracle thing out of it. It was that God showed up They saw that God showed up and they were willing to believe the message. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I I know we've got to wrap our brain around that. You're not just going to say, well, I'm going to have to. In fact, here's what I would rather you say, okay, George, I'm going to process that one. Can you say that with me? I'm going to, now you don't need to literally say it. Oh, I'm just asking, would you agree with me, Okay. I'm going to process that one because, let's be honest, folks, let's be honest. How are we doing? Doing it the way we're always doing it. Doing it the way we're sharing the gospel always. How how are we doing? I mean, are the panels literally coming down, staying down because we got baptisms every week for the number of people getting baptized because they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior? How are we doing? Something's got to change, right? Yeah, and we got to ask God to do it through us. We got to be willing, Lord, Lord, I want to, but Lord, you got to do this. You're the one who draws people. You're the one who opens eyes. You're the one who, Lord, you got to show up. Do you understand what I'm saying? You got to ask God to do it. You got to ask Him to do it. You know, it's not how many... Think about it for a moment, folks. You can say, well, George, I don't have your training. Right? Who cares that you don't have my training? When you look at these people here, in the book of Acts, sharing the gospel, how many of them were educated? Except for Paul, let's talk. How many of them were educated? No. In fact, well, how did they describe Peter and John? Unlearned, ignorant fishermen but yet they, with one sermon, thousands came to the Lord. Why? God showed up. Always notice something. It's not just his preaching. They saw God in their midst through whatever was happening that day, right? This is the point we've got to understand. This is what we've got to want for our lives. Okay, so as they preached... God's word was supported by miracles. Now, I'm going to give you a second to ask questions in five minutes. I just got to go a little bit further in our lesson because we've only just got to the beginning. So let me finish. 
Iconian. We'll talk about Lystra and Derby next week, okay? All right. The city, well, here's what happened. Here's the result, and here's what I need you to understand. The city was divided among those supporting the Jews and those supporting the apostles. This is so true. When God moves, it always causes a division. Just being honest with you. It's historically historically true. Now, how many of you have heard of the great awakenings in the United States, the great spiritual awakenings, the great revivals in the United States? How many of you have heard those? Probably if, if, if we've all heard of that, but here's what we have not heard when we've heard those stories. They weren't accepted. They caused problems. They usually ended up dividing, not bringing unity. What do you mean? Well, there was a great stirring and a great movement of God and a great response, but when it happened, those who were in the church, when the revival happened, not every one of them was happy about it. Some tried to discredit it. There was opposition. And it led to division. See, this is what I want you to understand. Not everybody, when God moves in a wonderful way, and he was in a wonderful way in this context, you're going to see that not everybody's happy with it and responds the right way. And here in this context, we see the city was divided between two groups, those who supported the apostles and those who did not. That's what we've got to understand. You say, is that possible? Think about it for a moment, folks. Jesus healed people all the time. Did every, was everyone happy about it? No, in fact, they tried to discredit him and kill him, right? Think about the greatest miracle Jesus did, raising Lazarus from the dead. What was the response of the Pharisees? Trying to figure out how to kill Jesus and now kill Lazarus. Which, if you're Lazarus, are you really worried? Do you know what I'm saying? What? Been killed or no? Okay. No, you're talking about Lazarus. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Next week, here's what we're going to do, guys. Next week, we're going to go through the second part of the lesson looking at Lystra and Derby. All right. Let's, ask, let's answer some questions because I've raised something here. Hopefully, it's, I want to stir your thoughts, but I also want to stir your questions because I've raised an issue here for us to consider to wrestle with. It would be totally meaningless if everybody said, oh, that sounds good, George, but we did not let it penetrate our hearts and our minds to consider that maybe we need to be praying different and asking God to do something different in our own lives and in the lives of others around us. What do you think? What are your thoughts? What are your questions? Yeah, Mike. Yes.
Yes. Yes. But, yeah. I mean, the way our world is right now, it's all tuned to the magnetism to draw them in is opposite. Yep. It, 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 unless you get your heart right to be able to accept the Holy Spirit and get people in our community or the whole world, whatever way you want yep. to say it, receptive to that Holy Spirit, it's not going to yeah, and I would agree with you. And so let me ask you a question because that raises a good point then, okay? You understand what Mike was saying. Mike's saying that we need to get to a place where we are receptive to the Holy Spirit working through us. Okay, now my question to you is, okay, it says in the Scripture, in Paul's letters, that we're not to quench the Holy Spirit. My question to you is, is have we been quenching the Holy Spirit? How have we been quenching him? Usually when I've heard quenching the Holy Spirit, let me just stop for a moment, I've usually heard it and I've even preached it in the context of unconfessed sin in your life. Okay? And that is true. But that's not the whole story of how you quench him. How do we quench him? Not listening to him? That's good, Bruce. Anybody else want to add something more to it? Okay, getting our mind wrapped up in other things than what God wants. Okay, all right. Anybody else? What do you think? Not feeding. Not feeding. Not allowing the script. You can't feed the Holy Spirit, but I mean, uh, I understand what you're saying. You're saying not uh, allowing the Holy Spirit the scripture to be a part of your life so that he can use that in your life. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Not communicating with him? Okay. Well, here's, here's another one. I, I, nobody's there yet. I'll help you. Were there times in the Gospels when... Oh, I'll look. Here, here's one. It's right in our passage. You got book of Acts. Look with me at verse 9. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed. He saw in this guy that he had faith to be healed. So my question is, how do we quench the Holy Spirit? Everything you've said is correct. Everything that's good. I want to go one step further and say to you, which I think is the key thing to what Mike is saying here, you have to be open to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, but that's going to require something from you. And what is it? Faith. You've got to believe, you've got to have faith that the Holy Spirit's going to work in whatever way he chooses in your life and in the lives of others. Do you understand what I'm saying? Would you say that we only give lip service to the Holy Spirit, but the reality is, is that we're actually quenching him because we don't really believe that he can do anything today. Would you say that's true? You're not sure. Nobody's answering. Yes, as a rule. I'm not saying every... Don't take... I'm, I'm talking in general terms, folks. Don't say, George, are you saying all of America? No, I know... No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying 
in general sense of the church. How do I know that? Because look at, look at the course of studies I've had. Folks, I didn't go to school to learn how to get close to Jesus. I went to school to learn a science how to pastor a church and grow a church. Notice I use the word, and we use it, science. It's a science. Church growth is a science. But it ignores that Jesus said, upon this rock, meaning himself, I will build my church. Did you understand what I'm saying? What were you, I saw your... your Okay, and like for instance, if you take Asia, they don't have what we have if you're sick. They have to pray. They have to trust God to heal, especially if they're in an underground Bible school and they've been in a cave for three months, can't come outside, somebody gets sick. The only thing they can do is pray for that person to get better. We don't face those kind of suits. Well, you know, if we get sick, we just go to quick care. I think that's new in Dubois now, right? You doing you know what I'm saying? Okay, so, okay, let me ask a question. So, piggybacking off what Mike said, we've got to be open. So, how do, what do we do? What do how do we pray? What do we, how has our focus got to change? What, what do you need even from us as a church? Well, for me, because, okay, maybe, are you resonating what's being said here today? I can't tell because nobody's like, are we ready yet? Because I'm ready for a coffee. I mean, are you resonating with what I'm saying? Okay. All right, so let me ask you a question. Final question, then we've got to get ready. What do you need from us? What do you need from the church to help us get there? What do we need to do? Pray? Oh, okay. But you know what? Here's the thing. Prayer, I'll just be honest with you. Don't take this the wrong way, but if you want to, take it the wrong way. We got prayer breakfast coming up on the 17th. Same five dudes every, sun, every, every week. You know what I'm saying? But prayer's not the only thing. No, but something I can do to teach to get the help. You're doing Yes. That's an individual. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be offended by me not liking the word feeding. I was getting too theological there. So. Okay. All right. Yeah, but Denny, has he healed anybody recently in your life? Yeah. Yeah, but here, here's what I'm trying to say. We don't have an expectation of that. Well, I, think, I think he's just as much here. I know he's here. He lives right inside you. Right. I, I okay. think he's doing things here as well as on the, the, in the countries that are more persecuted. I understand, but actually I don't believe that. Because here's the reality. 
the church in America is dying. It's dying. We're losing our young people. We're dying as a church. We may have correct doctrine. We may have correct thinking. But we're dying. Does everybody, do you, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, the attendances in church, do you realize in Clearfield County, only 40% of the county even go to church, and half of those are Catholics. The other, of the 40%, 40% are Catholic, 40% are United Methodist. So then you take the other 20% and you've got those divided among all the other churches. We're not reaching people, there's no interest. We have no power. Nobody is interested in... Am I the only one who... Do do we see that or not? Well, no fear in the church either. Yeah, no fear in the church. Do you understand? See, to me, an unbeliever having no fear of God, that just makes sense. But there's no fear of God in the church. No awe at the Holy Spirit. When you read the book of Acts and you see God moving in a mighty way, they're, they're in awe, but there's also... Fear. God is real. God is holy. God is... Do you understand what I'm saying? So, I think what Bruce is saying is true. We've got to keep hearing the teaching, keep being stretched, start praying personally, God, you show up in my life and start being attuned like Mike was saying. That's what we've got to do. Good conversation. Boy, we went off on a tangent that actually was good, wasn't it? Let's get ready for the morning service.